as we wrap up this series, Proving It, uh, or Prove It, we've been in 1 John now for about eight weeks, and so uh, we're going to wrap up today, and, and I want to ask a question just as, I think, a question that a lot of us think about, um, especially those of us maybe on the younger uh, side of the spectrum, maybe with younger kids or, or, or older people with grandkids, you think about this a lot, and it's the future. What, what do you, how do you feel about the future? What kind of world uh, will our children and our grandchildren grow up in? What can we count on to give us any kind of confidence as we look to the future? This morning as we get to this last installment of John's letter, it, it, remember it's a letter that was written a long time ago to a, to a church call, in a place called Ephesus. And even though it was written a long time ago, in fact, several thousand years ago, we're finding that it speaks quite powerfully even to our own lives and to our own churches here in the 21st century. It's a compelling letter, strikingly simple, but it raises all kinds of questions. And with so many questions, maybe the question that we ought to be asking this morning is this. Is there anything we can be certain of in this world? Is there anything that we can be certain of in a world that's so unpredictable and frightening? I mean, when, when we look at the world, we watch the news, we, we pay attention to social media, we watch you know, just culture in general. The world is a scary place. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of certainty about anything in the world. So what can we be certain of? Is there anything that we can be certain of? Unfortunately, John wrote this letter to answer questions like this from people like you and me. So let's open up our Bibles one more time to 1 John as we focus on the closing paragraphs of chapter 5. We're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 11. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip over there. or It'll be on the screen here in just a moment. But this is what John writes, starting at verse 11. He says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you that you may believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pause there for just a moment and remember the situation that the original readers of this letter would find themselves in. They were second or third generation believers. They're about 50 years removed from the historical, physical Jesus that had lived. And a lot had happened in those 50 years. I mean, Jerusalem had fallen to the Romans. Jerusalem, had, the, the temple was gone. Roman, Rome had come in and they had just ransacked Jerusalem and, and they had destroyed the temple. And, and now this, this region of the world was under the influence of a, and under the thumb of a pagan empire. Jews had been scattered among the nations uh, because they were afraid they were going to be killed. In fact, many were. This fledgling Christian church, this new startup uh, was just getting going, but it was misunderstood and it was persecuted. Most of the apostles by this time, they had been martyred or, or were about to be martyred. There were very few uh, of the original eyewitnesses to Jesus remaining. Those who had seen Jesus live and die and ultimately resurrect from, from the dead. There were very few of those people who actually saw and touched and ate and did all of those things with Jesus. There were very few of those left. And now, because there's very few of those people left, some, some other people are starting to infiltrate the church. And remember, it's, it's still in its infancy, so it's susceptible to, to a lot of bad things. And so false teachers are coming in, and, and they're calling into question some of the central tenets, some of the central pillars of the faith. They would say things like, Jesus didn't really have a body. He was just a, a, a spirit. You know, He just had this spiritual appearance, and, and that was what was important to them. They would say things like, faith isn't what matters, it's enlightenment. It's about secret truths and, and mystical experiences. 
And they would say that you know, no one could be really sure of their standing before God. They, they said that divine reality is far too mysterious for that. And so many believers were beginning to doubt their faith because of all of these infiltrations into the church. And they were starting to wonder if what they believed was really true, if they were really true Christians. And if they could count on anything in this world as their world around them seemed to be falling apart. And you know, 2,000 years later, we're still prone to some of those very same doubts. I would venture to guess that there's not a person in this room who's a believer that hasn't at some point questioned their faith. Maybe you made a commitment to Christ you know, many years ago, but, but it just doesn't have a whole lot of meaning to you anymore. And so you've, you've, you've allowed the doubts of, of your faith to, to just kind of erode your faith. Maybe you've been struggling with a certain sin in your life and you just think, how can I actually be a Christian if I, keep, if I continue to struggle with this one particular thing? If I can't ever get past this, how can I ever actually be a Christian? And so you wonder about that. Maybe you just recently read a book or you took a class or you heard somebody talk and, and they called you to, to question your faith at an intellectual level. I mean, we see that happen all the time every fall when, when our high school students go off to college. You look at other Christians and, and you compare and you see that they seem to have this power and this passion and this joy and you don't seem to have any of that. And so you think, what's wrong with me? How come I don't have those things? Maybe I'm not really a Christian. And so you begin to doubt whether or not you're even saved. And while Christians have always struggled with doubt in our modern 21st, uh, postmodern 21st century world, it seems harder and harder to be sure of anything. There just doesn't seem like there's anything in our world that we can actually be certain of. A couple of years ago, uh, Drew Faust became the president of Harvard University. And in her inaugural speech, she, she called attention to the crest of the college, which bears a, a one-word motto. Uh, the one word motto is, is, it's in Latin, it's veritas, that's the word, and that's the Latin word for truth. And she pointed out that the motto originally affirmed the school's quest for eternal truths and unassailable realities. But then she went on to, to announce there was a new understanding of, of this quest, of this motto. She said this, she said, truth is an aspiration, not a possession. That's her words. Not a possession. And she said, In this we challenge those who would embrace such certainties. We must commit ourselves to the uncomfortable position of doubt. Now you think about what's being said there. That, that basically that there is no truth. That we can't know anything is true for sure. We can't know anything for sure. Think about that. When, when the most highly regarded institution in all of the world says, they're telling us that we can't know anything for certain. What's that say for, the, for, for folks like me and you, folks that aren't going to Harvard anytime soon, right? Th these are the, supposed to be the smartest people in the world, and they say we can't know anything for sure. If, look, if the folks at Harvard don't know anything, I don't know that there's a whole lot of hope for me to know anything. That's why John's words are so relevant to us today. He offers us certainty. Look again at verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That, that word know, it's important to John. In fact, that, it, it appears more often in this chapter than, than in just about any other chapter in the New Testament. But there are actually two words uh, that are used for the word know in the original language. In, in this verse, and most of the time in this chapter, John uses a word to describe a, the, the state of knowing rather than the process of knowing. There's a difference there, the state of knowing against the, the process of knowing. 
You know, when I say, I know I'm an American, I'm, I'm making a, a declarative statement. I'm declaring something. I'm declaring something that I know to be true beyond any doubt. When I say that I know what it means to be an American, that, that's a knowledge that I'm still acquiring, that I'm still growing into. One kind of knowing is complete and factual. The other is progressive and, and experiential. And while both kinds of knowing are, are true of a Christian, it's the first kind of knowing, this, this certain kind of knowing that John is emphasizing in this moment. And, and what is it that John wants the church at Ephesus and, and really for us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt? What, what's he talking about? Well, I think there's at least three things here that John wants us to know. And the first thing is this, is that he wants us to know that eternal life is possible. That, that expression, eternal life, it, it literal, literally means the life of the ages. In other words, it's a life for this age and, and any age that comes after that. The, the word eternal, it speaks to both the, the quantity and the quality of life. Eternal life is, is, is longer in that it goes on forever, but it's also deeper that it encompasses the, the full range of human potential. Eternal life is real. Eternal life is the life that we were created to, to live, and it's the life that I think most of us long to live. In fact, in the original language of verse 12, John doesn't just refer to it as life, but he says, the life. It's the life. Whoever has the Son has the life. It, it suggests that any other kind of life just falls short, that it, that it misses the mark, that it doesn't measure up to, to what John is talking about here, that to eternal life. And so the first thing that John wants us to know is that eternal life is possible. The second thing that John wants us to know is that, that life is found in Jesus Christ. That this life, this eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. It's not something that we find deep down inside of ourselves even though we were created for it. It's not something that we find out in the world even though that's what this world was designed for when it, with, with that life in mind. Jesus brought this life to us when he came to, to earth and, and, and he lived it for us. He, he showed us what it means to live life in the full, in, in relationship with God and, and for the good of others. The world has never truly seen life as it was meant to be until Jesus came and lived and showed us how to live it. So logically, the only place that we find real life is in the one who actually lived it, in Jesus and I want to say something uh, about that, and, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm going to say, but, but I want to be clear about it. You know, Jesus didn't stutter when he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Look, I, I want to be respectful of other religious groups. I want to have friends who, who, are, who are a part of other religious groups. I want to be able to engage in conversation with them and talk about our different beliefs. But I want to be crystal clear about this. Eternal life is not found in, in Muhammad or Buddha or any other, or the, the Krishnas or any other group. Okay, Eternal life is found only in Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it. And when he said, nobody comes to the Father except through him, that's exactly what he meant. Look, there are a lot of good people who believe a lot of different things. But eternal life is found only in the person of Jesus. And in, look, in this world of tolerance and, and acceptance of, of every belief, we as Christians, as the church, the one thing we can't give up Look, we can give up methods and, and that kind of stuff to accommodate other people. The one thing we cannot give up is the central belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that nobody comes to the Father except through Him. 
Amen? The third thing John wants us to know is this, is that if you have the Son, you have that life. That's an interesting way to put it. If you have the Son, you have that life. Um, He says, having the Son and having the life. We know what it means to have an object, don't we? We, but, but how do you have a person? To, to have a person is to be in some kind of relationship with them. When we say, you know, I have a spouse, we're speaking of a relationship, a marital relationship. When we say, I have a friend, we're declaring a, a certain kind of relationship there. But it doesn't make any sense for somebody to say, well, I have a stranger. Because you're not, there's no relationship there. You're not declaring a relationship there. There's no definition. And so to have Jesus is to be in relationship with Him. A relationship defined by belief and trust and obedience. And whoever has the Son, as John would say, has the life. Again, that's an interesting way to put it. Especially in light of the words spoken by the Harvard president, where she said, truth is an aspiration, not a possession. Not according to John. When he says, whoever has the Son has the life, he uses a word that literally means to possess, to own, to, to, to hold. There, there's a difference between aspiring to something and, and possessing something. And John is telling us that eternal life, real life, isn't just something to aspire for. It's not something that we just hope for happens for us one day. It's not something that we just wonder about. Eternal life is something that you can really have and you can really have it right now. Any of you ever seen the movie Hereafter? Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, you haven't missed much if you, if you haven't seen it. It's really not all that great of a movie. But, but it did provide some, some interesting sermon material. It, it came out seven or eight years ago. Matt Damon's in it. He's probably the biggest name in the movie. But I remember going to see the movie in, in the movie theaters. And the, the movie, the, the kind of the premise of the movie is just that it attempts to explore life beyond this life. And, and it does it by following three different characters in the movie who have some some close encounters with death and or the afterlife and look the movie it doesn't offer much in the way of answers other than just to suggest that there is probably something beyond this life and that it probably works out okay for most people that's kind of where it leaves you with but the character played by Matt Damon he's got psychic abilities and he's able to communicate with the dead and so as one of the characters comes to see him and he asks him to contact a loved one who's died, Matt Damon begins to ask questions to this person, to this spirit that he's talking to. And he begins asking questions like, what's it like on the other side? And can this loved one who's, who's solicited his services, can, can they come and join him there? Uh, you know, what should he be doing in the meantime while he's still on this side? And as the scene was unfolding, and it's, it's a kind of an intense scene, I just I noticed that everything in the movie theater had gotten really quiet. Like, you know, when you go to the movies, you, you always hear people munching on popcorn, and, and there's always the slurping of the last uh, little bit of Coke in somebody's drink, and, and people are trying to quietly open up their candy, and the plastic just it makes all kinds of noise. During this scene, it just dawned on me that none of that was going on. And I kind of just remember looking around and noticing that everybody was glued to the words that were about to come out of Matt Damon's mouth. They, they were, everybody, it dawned on me, everybody wants to know what life on the other side is like. How do we get there? How do we attain it? What should we be doing in the meantime? And everybody wants to know so bad that even those who would go see a movie like Hereafter that's not really all that good would hang on every word that was about to come out of an actor's mouth. See, people want to know. In a frightening and fast-changing world with, with foundations crumbling all around us, what can we count on? What can we know for certain? What can we be sure of? 
Well, this much we can know for sure, according to John, eternal life is possible. It's found in Jesus Christ. And if you have a relationship with Christ, you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to wish, you don't have to hope. You can know for certain. In fact, John wrote this letter for that very purpose. Go back to, to verse 13. He says, this is, this is his purpose statement for even writing this. He says, I, I write these things to you who believe so that you may what? Know. So that you may know that you have eternal life. That's so interesting to me. John, John writes this letter for a very different purpose than he wrote, wrote his gospel. Uh, if you go back and you look at John's gospel, he gives you the purpose statement at the end of it in chapter 20. And he, and he tells us why and for whom he, he wrote. He says this in chapter 20 of his gospel. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. You notice the difference? There's a subtle difference there. John wrote his gospel for seekers so that they would come to, to believe. So that they would come to have this belief. But he wrote his letter. He wrote it for those who had already believed. He's writing it for believers so that they would come to know. This letter picks up actually where the gospel leaves off. You know, if you were going to write, you know, the gospel of John, maybe this is John 2, but actually we got John 2, you know, a little later, and then John 3 as well. But, but this, this picks up where he leaves off. In fact, when, when you put John's gospel and this letter back to back, you discover that John has mapped out the journey of faith for us. According to John, the, journey began, the spiritual journey begins with hearing, understanding the life and the message of Jesus. And then he would say the next step is believing. that You, you, know, you put your trust in, in the life of Jesus. You put your trust in the message of Jesus. Those are the first two steps or the first two phases. And, and they are the purpose of the gospel. But the next step in the journey, according to, to John, is, is living. Not, not just trusting in Christ, but actually following Christ in everyday life. And that's what he's writing about in this letter. Walking in truth, doing what's right, loving one another. You know, those doctrinal and relational and ethical expressions of faith. And when you're actually living out your faith, when you're living out your faith day by day, it leads to that final phase of the journey. Knowing, having complete confidence that you are, that you are a child of God now and forever. And here's the thing, you know you're a child of God when you live like a child of God. If you're growing in your knowledge of Christ, if you're becoming more like Jesus day by day, if you're learning to love others, you already have eternal life. And if you're already living it, then you know for certain that you have it, right? If, how can you not know for certain something that you're already doing? If you're already living eternal life, then you know you have it. Hearing, believing, living, and knowing. Do, do you see what direction we're moving in? We're moving up and to the right. You all remember a couple of weeks ago when I had that little chart up here and it was in, divided into four graphs and we said we want it to be in that upward, upper right corner. That's the direction we want to be moving. And if, you are, and if you're doing these things, if you are hearing and believing and living and knowing, then you're moving in that direction. This is a road map. And our destination is knowing. Because when you get to the knowing stage... You're no longer bogged down by fear and doubt and worry. You're not bogged down by all of those things. You, you can enjoy the journey. You can live the life that, that you, you want to because you know where you're going. Anybody ever go on a trip and you know where you're going and then something happens and all of a sudden you don't know where you're going? And the, the journey just becomes a lot more difficult, doesn't it? I mean, just think about this. Let's just hypothetically 
one of your families, John, John, you and Annie, you all just went to the Northeast. Let's say you're going on, on a family vacation to the Northeast and you're going to go to some lake and cabin tucked away in the woods somewhere. We'll call it Tucker Lake. And so everybody piles in the car and, and you get, get in the, the car and you head north. And everybody's just enjoying the scenery, especially this time of year. All the leaves are changing, the, the colors on the trees are beautiful, the mountains are beautiful, and everything is, is just perfect. I mean, it's like the scene out of a Disney movie, right? And everybody's just enjoying the, the drive and looking forward to this week at the cabin by the lake. But after a couple of hours of driving, you get off at exit so-and-so and, and you just follow the main road like, like you were told to do. But it turns out the main road isn't so easy to follow. There are twists and there are turns and there are forks along the road. And before long, you're not really sure where you're at. And suddenly, no one's having a good time anymore. The kids are in the back yelling at each other. Your spouse is fussing at you because you don't know where you're going. You're looking at the gas gauge in the, in the, on the car, making sure you got enough gas because you're not lost as long as you got gas, right, men? The dog's car sick in the back. And, I mean, it, nothing is fun anymore. And suddenly, this, this week by the lake at the cabin seems more like a punishment than it does a vacation. But then, just out of nowhere, you get to another fork in the road, and this time... There's a sign, and it says Tucker Lake, 21 miles. And you breathe a sigh of relief, don't you? Now your spouse begins to relax a little bit. The kids start looking out the window again. The dog's still sick in the back, but you're just going to have to deal with that when you get there. But now you can enjoy the, the drive again. You can enjoy the journey again because you know where you're at, and you know where you're going. So you can relax and enjoy the journey. That, that's the kind of assurance, that's the kind of certainty that John is offering to his readers and, and to us. So many people, they make their way through life without really knowing where they're at, or even worse, where they're going, whether they're on the right road or not. It makes, and, and, and you know people like this, and what do you know about those people? That they're often miserable and unhappy, and, and nobody wants to be around them. It turns out there's one more thing John wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be under any kind of delusions about the kind of world that we live in. Look at, down at verse uh, 19. He says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Look, we can enjoy the journey. You know, it, it's good to, to be able to enjoy the journey, but don't have any mistakes or, or illusions about the world that we live in. We live in a fallen world, which means that Satan is on the loose and that people will do foolish and terrible things, that the forces of nature will, will often cause disaster. I mean, you know, some of you all experienced Hurricane Ian and, and you had to ride it out down in Florida. Some of you, uh, you know, just think about our state in the last year. In the last year, we've had terrible tornadoes that have, have destroyed western Kentucky and floods that have destroyed eastern Kentucky. Mother Nature will, will cause disaster. Because we live in a fallen world. Look, God never promises freedom from pain or hardship or disappointment in this life, even for His children. We live in a fallen world, so it's important to know that because you no longer, because when you know that, you no longer expect this world to deliver ultimate peace and joy and love. Instead, you know where you're going to find that. We also know, says John, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Look, this world might be fallen, but God has come into this world and He's brought life with Him. We don't have to worry about the future. We don't have to wonder what's going to happen to us in the life to come. 
We don't have to wonder what's, what's going to happen to our kids uh, and, and what's going to happen in their life to come because that life has already come. Jesus brought it with him when he came. We're already living it, and if we're already living it, then we know for certain that it exists. Eternal life isn't waiting for us in, in the hereafter. It's waiting for us in the here and now because of Jesus. And we know, we can know for certain that we have eternal life. We can deal, and, and when we know that, let me say this too, when we know we have eternal life, when we are confident in what's going to happen to us in the life to come, when, look, I am confident that I'm going to heaven. And I hope that you're confident in that too. And because I know where I'm going, whatever this life happens to throw, it just does. And you just deal with it. And you, and you just move on because this life isn't all of it. This life isn't all of life. Jesus brought life with him. And so John's final message for us in this series would be this, is that you know you're proving it. When you can face the future with confidence, knowing that your life is in God's hands now and forever. So let me bring us back, uh, as we wrap up, to the spiritual journey that John mapped out for us. Hearing, believing, living, knowing. Where would you put yourself on that, on that road map? Maybe you're still in the hearing stage, and, and that's okay. Maybe for the, you know, you're, you're still investigating life and the teachings of Jesus, and, and that's okay. It really is, because you're on your way. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Everybody's got to have a beginning point. And so this is the beginning point. But, but maybe you're past the hearing point. Maybe you've come to believe the message of Jesus, whether it was sometime recently or, or, or sometime in the past. And that's good. That's an important step. That, that's the point where you're born again and you become a child of God. But listen to me on this. Don't get stuck there. Too many people get stuck there. You, you want to you move to the next phase because this phase is, is really, if, if, you, if you live in this phase for the rest of your life, it's no fun. You want to start living your faith, growing in your knowledge, becoming like Christ, giving of yourself to others in love. Because once you start living your faith, then you suddenly find yourself in the knowing stage. Where you no longer worry and have doubts and wonder, but instead you step out in confidence every day, knowing who you are, why you're here, and where you're going. Look, what's that old song say is, I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about the future. Some Ray, you're going to have to help me out on it. But, but I know, I, I, don't, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who does, basically. And because I know who does, that makes today okay. It makes it whatever we face today worth it. Because we know where we're going. And look, if you don't know where you're going, then I just want, I want to tell you that, like, you can know, right? You can know where you're going. You can know that you're a child of God. You can know that your eternal destination is heaven. And you don't have to wait until you die to start living that eternal life, to start living out all the goodness of the things that are going to be there in heaven. You can start living that now through the fullness of Jesus. And so if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never, um, if you've never moved past that initial step of that hearing, and maybe today's the day that you move into that next step where you're in, in believing and where you step out in your belief and you act in your belief. Because that will ultimately lead you to living where you live every day in the fullness of Jesus. And when you live every day in the fullness of Jesus, you know who you are and where you're going. I know where I'm going. I hope you do too. Let me pray for us.